pray. Lord God, as we come now and open Your Word, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would help us this morning. For without Your Spirit, we can understand nothing but what You speak to us through the pages of Holy Scripture. No, Lord God, we ask that not only would Your Holy Spirit help us to understand, but that Your Holy Spirit would give faith and belief to those who do not have it. You know, God, may we trust in You as David trusted in You. You know, God, may You bless here this morning the reading, hearing, and preaching of Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Samuel 20, we'll begin reading at verse 1 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 42. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David bowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, 
If he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love to, uh, to him, or for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you'll be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. And then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, be, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the mill, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. 
And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. The grass withers and the flower fades away. The word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning we were in First Samuel Chapter 19, and we saw how Saul had one thing on his mind. That was to murder David. We saw Jonathan interceding for David with his father. And we saw how Saul's anger was leading him to seek murder. And how God confounded Saul and saved David. Again, God saved David in a, in a most unique way. As Saul went to, to kill David and Nahoth, God called Saul to strip off all of his clothes and lay naked and prophesy. And so we continue on this morning and we, we know this concerning King Saul, that he has been given over by God to his sin, to his many sins. Paul speaks of this over in, in Romans chapter 1. Listen to what he says beginning at verse 28. He says, And since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now we see many of those characteristics in King Saul. He is envious of David. He seeks to murder David. He is all about strife and division. He is deceitful. He is malicious. Ultimately, he is a hater of God. He is insolent and haughty. He is boastful. He is the inventor of evil. He is heartless and he is ruthless. Yet now we see Jonathan, his son. 
many times sons are just like their fathers. All of us have learned from our parents good or bad, but we see here that Jonathan is not like his father. Because Jonathan understood that David had done nothing to sin against his father. David had been a faithful servant to King Saul. And so Jonathan is drawn towards David. Jonathan seeks the good of David and not his death. Jonathan will protect David from his father. You see, that's what a good friend does, isn't it? A good friend will protect even if it means his own death. Understand, Jonathan himself is at risk of dying because he is committing treason against the king. He is siding with the enemy of the king. He is in covenant with the enemy of the king. And so Jonathan could be put to death. But he is willing to do that for David. Now what has Saul become? Saul has become a tyrant. And we see God's people are to to protect others. We are to protect others against those who would seek to murder the innocent, against tyrants and tyranny in the world. So there are four things I want us to to see and hear of this morning. And we begin with the complaint of David. Now, David is complaining to Jonathan, but he's complaining about Jonathan's father. Now, it seems like David goes to Jonathan, and it may well have been Saul was still in his trance in Naoth as David escapes and goes and sees his friend. And he questions Jonathan concerning Saul. Jonathan, what have I done? What sin have I committed? What is my guilt that your father seeks to kill me? You see, David knew that he had committed no sin against Saul. We will see this throughout the remaining uh, the chapters that deal with Saul and David. David is always one who, who will not uh, commit any sin against the king. He's very careful in what he does. He knows of his innocence. He knows that he is righteous. He knows that there is no reason why Saul should be seeking to murder him. Now in verse 2, it seems like Jonathan is actually defending his father David. I would know this. I, I think you're overreacting. David, I would know if my, my father was trying to kill you. He would not hide it from me. And then verse 3, David, see, Baal says, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Now that step was King Saul. That step, if Saul had the appropriate opportunity He would murder David in cold blood. But we need to stop and and think about this for a moment because that verse applies to us. There is always but a step between us and death. We do not know the day of our death. We do not know 
the moment that God will call us from this life to the next. We do not know how God will call us from this life to the next. But what we do know is this, that we, we are to trust in our God and we are not to be fearful. We are not to fear what may happen to us. We are to fear God. David understood that Saul desired to kill him. He understood what he was facing. He was convinced that Saul would, would murder, seek to murder him again and again. And so Jonathan says, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I, I will do that. And again, that's what friends do, right? I will do whatever you ask me. And so David lays out the plan. A feast was coming. David would be required. It was a public feast. David would be required to attend that feast. And so he is asking for leave to see the, the mind and the heart of Saul towards him. And so he, he lays out the plan. If, if he says good, if Saul says good in verse 7, uh, that he has gone away, then it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. If you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? Oh, to have the, 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 the spirit and the heart of David, knowing that he had committed no sin against Saul. David knew his heart was clean. David knew his actions were clean. And he said, Jonathan, if, if I am guilty, then you just kill me. And so David lays it out, and this method that David proposes was, was natural. In the next two days, there will be the public dining of, of King Saul upon occasion of the new moon. Upon David not being there, if Saul admitted an excuse for his absence, he would conclude that Saul had changed his mind and was reconciled to David. And so David reminds Jonathan in verse 8 of that covenant they had entered into with the Lord. They had made a covenant. And to break that covenant would be to sin against God. And to sin against one another. But then second of all, we, we see a promise being made by Jonathan. A promise, by the way, that Jonathan will keep. In verses 9 and 11, we have Jonathan's response. to All that David has laid out. Jonathan says in verse 9, Far be it from you, for if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And so they go out into the field. But before they, they come up with a plan, Jonathan again makes a covenant. But this time, it's not just with David, it is with his house. Did you get that? What does Jonathan know? Jonathan knows that it is David who will be king of Israel next. And Jonathan also knows that when David becomes king, David could put Jonathan to death. Now, he wouldn't. 
They're friends. You see that all the time, do you not? In, in kingdoms, when the new king comes in, he will just go ahead and wipe out all of the family of the, the preceding king. David will have opportunity to do that to another son of Saul who is crippled in both his feet called Mephibosheth. But he will not do it. Jonathan swears by David that he will deal well with him. That he will deal well with David and let him know what is the plan of his father. And in verse 14 he says, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as his, love, his own soul. What friendship. What love. And so then they make the plan, don't they? Jonathan lays it all out. What will happen tomorrow, the next day, if, if Saul worries or is concerned about where David is and, and how he will bring that young boy out. He will shoot arrows. And if it goes a certain distance, then David knows he's safe. If it goes further, then he knows that he is in great danger and David will leave. Third, we see Saul's rage against David. We have seen this for the last few weeks. Anger getting the best of, of Saul. Anger controlling Saul. Saul being consumed with the lust of, of anger. And so the, the plan is executed. David is hiding in the field. That day comes and there is Jonathan. There is Abner. Um, and, but David's place at the table is empty. Now notice Saul in verse 26 just thinks he's unclean. Now this uncleanness. That Saul thinks that has happened to David is one that would go would go away the next day. Saul firmly expected David to be there the second day, but it was empty. And so Saul asked Jonathan, and Jonathan replies of what they had what they had rehearsed, what they had planned. That David had asked him leave to go to Bethlehem for a a yearly sacrifice, and so he is the one that has let David go. And did you notice the response of Saul against his own son? Now, the English Standard Version, they water it down a little bit. Let me clarify what Saul is saying. His anger is kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. First of all, Saul is calling his son a bastard. An illegitimate son. Second, he is calling him a traitor. A traitor to the kingdom and a traitor to Saul. And then third, he calls him a fool in verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, Neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. He, he sees Jonathan as a fool. 
for being in league with David because who should have the throne? It's Jonathan. You see, Jonathan saw. Jonathan understood. And so again, what do we find Jonathan doing? He is interceding for for David, his friend. Verse 32, Jonathan answers his father. What? Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. What courage Jonathan has here. This man stood up to his own father and says, you're wrong. Knowing well that his father might do exactly what he tried to do. Again, Saul's rage, his anger towards David. He is consumed with that anger. And again, we are reminded that when we are consumed with anger for another person, it will lead us to do even more sins, more heinous sins. We heard of that this morning. Are there some sins more heinous in the sight of God than others? The answer is yes. All sins deserve the wrath of God, but yet there are some that are more heinous. You see, Saul is making that progression. He is becoming a, mad, becoming a madman. He is already a tyrant as a king. And here is his son standing up to his father, and now his father tries to kill him. And so forth of all, we find Jonathan doing just what he said he would do. He goes and he warns David. And Jonathan gives David the sign. And the young boy go out and he shoots the arrows. And he says, it's not the arrow beyond you. That was the sign, wasn't it, for David that if he shot the, the arrows beyond the boy, that was a sign that David knew that Saul was going to kill him, and so he must leave. And so Jonathan gathers the boy up. He says, go back to the city. And now David comes out, and and they they depart. And and what a touching scene it was. David falls on his face. Now why was that? Well, he's giving Jonathan honor. And he's acknowledging what Jonathan has done for him. These two men, they they become weeping babies with one another. They embrace, they weep. David weeping the most. And Jonathan says, "Go go in peace. Go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. What was it that united David and Jonathan, well, they tell us, don't they, in verse 42? It is the Lord. It is the Lord who united these men into friendship. Now that takes us quite naturally to our our first application. And again, we see something this morning of true Christian friendship because we have it modeled for us with David and Jonathan. True Christian love 
and friendship demonstrates its sincerity when one friend warns the other against danger and harm. That's what Jonathan is doing for his friend. Now again, if someone came to us and, and, and they came to us, and maybe they asked this question, where is that member of your church? Where do they live? And we know why they're doing it. Let me give you an example. There was a minister in Canada. A Presbyterian minister in Canada. And, and the police went to another Presbyterian minister and they asked, where is this man who's been meeting when we told him he couldn't? And that fellow Presbyterian minister told them exactly where to find him. That's not something a friend does. That's not something a brother in the Lord does. No. We are to protect one another. True Christian love and friendship will protect, first of all, the, the lives of our friends. Now again, we, we don't know what God is doing in this world. We, we only see a, a, a small glimpse, what we see every week and every day. We have no idea what God is doing. But whatever He does is going to be for the good of, of His church and the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. But we need to be prepared. Christian, you need to be prepared. It may be here sooner rather than later when the civil magistrate knocks on your door. Because you don't do something they tell you to do. Or you don't conform to what they believe you should be doing. Some say, oh, it will never happen here. That's just a bunch of, of conspiracy theorists talk. Has the civil magistrate shut down churches in this last year? Have they fined churches in this last year? Yes. Are we willing to protect one another? As believers. But we're also called to protect the good name of our friends. Jonathan did this before Saul, didn't he? He protected the good name. Well, what does that mean? It means we don't go around talking about our friends. We don't speak ill of them to other people. We, we don't publish abroad all of their sins or even things we, we disagree with. That's not true Christian love and friendship. True Christian love and friendship always seeks the good of our friends, not the evil. Again, are we prepared for that? Are we prepared for what God may have in store for us? Are we prepared what may well come to us? And I'm sure plenty of, many of us, I know I did. I never thought I would see these things in my lifetime. I know I'm not as old as, as some of you, but I'm getting there, right? I, I, I'm getting there. The gray hair tells it. I, I never thought I would see the day in this nation where the civil magistrate, because they're scared of a virus, would shut down churches. I never thought I would see, even in, in Canada, ministers being arrested because we are to obey God and worship Him. 
I never thought in this day and time in my lifetime, I would see people mandating that we do something. If we don't do it, then we will not be able to participate in society. We need to be ready. Second, Saul, again, is an example of a man who has been completely given over to unbelief and sins by the sovereign hand of God. God has given him over. Why? Well, because God is a righteous God. He's a just God. He gives him over because his judgment is righteous. And the same can be said with the reprobate. Why does God give them over to their sins? Well, first of all, He just leaves them where they're at, right? Because they are born in sin. They are conceived in sin. And so He leaves them there. And He has every right to do that. Therefore, when His justice comes to them, it is a righteous justice. It is a holy justice. Justice, And so those whom God has chosen not to redeem, He gives them over, not always fully to their sin. There are some very moral unbelievers. But they'll never come to Christ. But you see, the unregenerate sinner at the last day will not be able to blame God. Only Himself. You know, that day is coming when we will all stand before God, stand before Jesus. And when a person who thinks, you know, I, I believed in Jesus, I, I, I had a little bit of faith, and I kind of believed in Him, and, 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 you know, I didn't really follow what He said, I didn't really go to church and worship with His people, but, but I believed in Him in a, in a very generic way. Kind of like the demons do, Right? And they stand before Jesus and they are consigned to hell forever. They will not be able to blame God. It is their fault. And we like to blame God sometimes. And the unregenerate sinner will always blame someone else. Instead of seeing his own sin. Instead of of dealing with his own sin and unbelief. But God judges the heart, doesn't he? He doesn't judge on outward appearance. He judges what's inside. Third, God in his mercy and grace sent his son to intercede for sinners. Again, we have a, a beautiful picture of Jonathan interceding for David. That beautiful picture of Jonathan interceding for David at the, at the, 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 the expense almost of his own life. Now what God has done for us through Christ was at the expense of Jesus' life. Jesus suffered the wrath of God to save us. Jesus suffered that wrath on the cross. Three hours of darkness again. We, we, we haven't said it. Uh, in a while, but the Apostles' Creed, He descended into hell, right? When did that happen? The three hours of darkness when Jesus was on the cross. He was experiencing hell on the cross. 
And He did it to save us. He did it to redeem us. He did it because the Father gave us into His hands. And so Jesus has interceded at the cross for all who will turn to Him and turn away from their sins. You know, some people think that they're just too wicked for God to save them. I'm sure we thought that before God saved us. Lord, you can't save me. I, you know the things I've done? Yes, He knows everything we have done. <laughs> he has seen it perfectly. He knows it all. He has seen it all. And yet, what has He done for us? He sent His Son to redeem us, even knowing everything that we have done, all of the evil, all the wickedness we have committed. And you see, Jesus will save to the uttermost all who will bow before Him. All who will turn from their sins and fall at the feet of King Jesus and say, Lord, save me. For I cannot save myself. You see, that's the gospel, right? You cannot save yourself. It is God who must save. And it is God who saves through Christ. Oh, may God show us this morning whether or not we have salvation in the Lord. And if we do not, may He grant us that and call us to His Son. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You this morning for Your Word. You know, Lord, as Jonathan warned David, You give us warnings in Scripture. May we heed them. May we see clearly what is happening, but may we not lose our hope and our trust in You. For, Father, You are, are a, the strong abode of Your people. You are a refuge and our tower, a strong defense. And, oh God, I pray that if there are any here this morning that are far from You, for they are far from Christ, that You would bring them close. That You would change their hearts. Oh, Lord, you would save them and redeem them. We thank you for that redemption that is found in Jesus and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.